We are in a series where we're talking about Easter people, and that transformation took place on the way to the cross, and in today's story, on the way from the cross. And we're uh, talking, uh uh-oh, did I forget my clicker, Judy? Is it down there somewhere? Would you toss me my clicker so I can have control? You know how I like control. Thank you. Um, So we're talking about Thomas. We've been talking about other people. Uh, Talked a little bit about Lazarus, and he overcame the fact that he was dead. And uh, Malchus, who was hurt by someone who claimed to be of faith, and yet Jesus helped him put his ear back where it belonged, and uh, he, don't know if he was transformed or not. All we know is that Jesus touched him. So today we're talking about somebody that probably you can identify with. I I know that I can. I'm sort of naturally a little bit of a skeptic, a little bit of a a cynic. I'm going to read you my definition of that in just a second. I do occasionally watch late night TV, but I would never put a piece of tape on my boat and think I could go fishing. Uh, I'm not sure about Mighty Putty, and those security lights don't scare off every bad thing that could ever happen in your yard. I am pretty sure that a lot of that is hype, because I'm a little bit of a cynic. So I want to talk about him, but I want to frame it this way. We're talking about transformation. Okay, we're talking about the fact that if you get next to Jesus, you can't be the same. You, You can't walk away unchanged. And so in Thomas's case, he was transformed on the way to the cross, but he was also transformed by what happened on the cross. And so let's talk about his story. Preface with this, amazing, honest story that allows us to identify with a doubter, a skeptic, a cynic. Matter of fact, if I say Thomas in the Bible, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Doubt, doubt. And, and maybe it's a little bit of a bum rap, we'll see. A cynic who Jesus encountered on the way to the cross and on the way from the tomb. File this away. We're going to visit it a lot. Our Lord is patient with those of us who doubt just a little bit. So I would like over the course of our time to maybe change his reputation from being a doubter to just an honest skeptic, a skeptic, a person who is slow to believe, slow to adopt, They lean toward not believing a piece of gossip, the value of something sold on late-night television, the integrity of a politician. No offense, Steve. They don't really lean towards conspiracy theories. They don't care if aliens landed in Washington, D.C., and they pretty much have a general sense of disbelief either toward a particular situation or just life in general. They suspend judgment or opinion until they have personal experience or testimony. That's a skeptic. Anybody else besides me? Okay, either raise your hand or elbow the person next to you. I know you're out there. And and we're just just a little slow to grab on to the the story. And if somebody tells us that something's too good to be true, we're the the first to believe that it's too good to be true. And and so Thomas is, is that guy. He's that guy who's, who's honest about his, his feelings. He's honest about the, his role to sort of keep it real among the disciples. 
He's been traveling with Jesus for 12, 12 uh, with the other 11 to make 12. He's been walking with him for three years. And now we get to this last week of Jesus' life, and they are trying to figure it out. So three chapters or three stories that I want to talk about this morning. John chapter 11, we alluded to it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Lazarus because he was part of that story too. John chapter 11, let me catch you up a little bit. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus and the, the other guys. He's sick, uh, really, really bad sick. He's got a sister, Martha, another sister, Mary. Uh, Jesus and the disciples have been in Jerusalem they are uh, starting to feel the heat because the persecution is, is ramping up and Jesus knows that it's not time for him to be arrested. And, and so he and the disciples escape to a, a place called Bethany across the Jordan or, or Bethany in the wilderness, probably pretty near the place where Jesus was baptized. And they're just sort of hanging out until it cools down a little bit in Jerusalem or until Jesus understands that it's time. And that's kind of what happens. They get word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus says, let's hang out for a little bit. They say, aren't we going to go? Aren't we not going to go? What are we going to do? And the disciples are, are, are kind of reminding him that it wasn't very good in Jerusalem. Anybody remember the, the first Top Gun movie where uh, Tom Cruise has a new Rio behind him, and, and, and he, he, he says he's going to do that old trick where he just slows down the airplane so the enemy aircraft can sort of climb up his back. And, and he says, uh, the, the, the Rio says, there's, there's one right on our tail. He's uh, I'm going to slow down. And the guy says, what? That's kind of what I think the disciples were feeling. When they were in this safe place across the Jordan, and Jesus said, okay, it's time for us to go back into Judea. What? Uh, wait, wait a minute. Jesus said, why would we do that? Why would we go back to that place? And then Thomas sort of voiced what they were all thinking. And there's going to be a quiz on this, so listen carefully. Jesus said plainly, Lazarus has died. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, never says who his twin is. We don't really know much about Thomas. We assume he was born in Galilee, somewhere near the other ones. But he says to the other guys, let us also go so that we can die too. Okay. Here's a quiz. Is that courage or is that cynicism? Is it courage? Let's go die. I'm all in. Or is it cynicism? Okay. Why not? Let's all go die. Which is it? I wonder, I wonder if maybe Thomas was a lot more loyal than we give him credit for. He'd been with Jesus the whole time. He'd heard the stories. He'd seen him heal people. He had watched him walk on water. He'd seen the bread multiplied for the 5,000. He'd seen all the stuff. He saw that Jesus was consistent, that this message of love and, 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 
and charity and, and, and open-mindedness, that this, this was just a, a consistent thing. And, and, and maybe Thomas could understand his compassion for his friend Lazarus. He, Lazarus, is, he doesn't need us to desert him now. Now, maybe cynicism. Maybe he was. But, but again, I, I wonder if it's courage. Now, I wonder if we could take it for face value. I wonder if he's saying, Jesus has stuck with us. We need to stick with him. If he's going to go and be in trouble, he should be surrounded by his friends. I wonder if Thomas came to the place where he said, I would prefer danger with him than safety without him. Maybe. Maybe that's the place where he, like us, said, okay, I'm not so sure about this. The one thing I am sure about is that this guy's different. This guy's special. This guy has stuck with us. And you see that transformation coming in where there's a dare to hope. There is a a dare to believe, a, a, a dare to shake the cynicism that maybe flowed through him a little naturally like it does in so many of us. Second story. It's a little bit later. And now they are in a place near Jerusalem Probably this took place near the upper room. If you've heard the Easter story at all, you know that the Last Supper was probably on Thursday night and, and that the disciples all gathered together to have a Passover meal just one more time. And, and so they, they got together and at that meal, Jesus washed their feet and they shared the bread and they shared the cup. And, and Peter uh, was told that he was going to deny him and, and Judas was told that he was going to betray him. And Judas left and, and, and then Jesus starts another conversation. And in this conversation, He's kind of like that guy that's going on a trip and you're watching his house for him and now he's telling you all the things that you will forget as soon as he walks out the door, but you're getting the idea that he's going on a trip. And so the language that Jesus is starting to use is going away language. It's uh, I'm going to be apart from you language. It's I'm leaving you language. And the disciples are getting really, really uptight. And so in John 14, after the supper, after communion, after uh, Judas leaves, after they are kind of winding things up and leaving this, this place, Jesus said, guys, I kind of feel your anxiety. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many spaces, places, mansions. It's translated different ways. In my father's house, there are places that he has has reserved for you, for all of those who will ever believe. In my father's house are these many spaces. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare you a place. Talk about mixed emotions. 
I'm loving this language of heaven, right? Loving this language of eternal uh, safety and protection and provision and that God's got this. Loving that language. But tell me again where you're going. I'm going away. And so they start getting kind of antsy about it. And once again, Thomas voices what all of them are thinking. He says in John chapter 14, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? Now, I stopped there for a minute and I said, how ridiculous would it be to think about a trip that you're going to go on and today we get in our car, we back it out of the driveway, we point it down the road, We have no idea the destination. We don't know where it is, what it is, what it looks like, who's going to be there, how we're going to experience it. We have no idea. How silly would it be to blindly point your car down the road? And then I go, we do it every day. We just punch it into our phone. We have no idea where we're going. We just trust the phone. It tells us to turn, we turn. It tells us to stop, we stop. Right after Katrina, I helped fish an insurance adjuster's car out of the water, and I said, why did you drive into the water? He said, the GPS told me to. You're in good hands. <laughs> what do you say? But we, we, Thomas was, was expressing that we don't know the destination. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, here's the point. The destination is not as important as the destiny. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if you take Thomas's response kind of at face value... He asked a destination question. Jesus answered with a destination answer. I am the way. And then the other two modify it. I am the way of truth. I am the way of life. And so you don't need to know what the final outcome is, the final destination. We, I've already talked to you about in my father's house, there are many spaces. I, I've already told you that there's a, a place that's going to be prepared for you. And now you're getting all uptight about all the details. You got to trust the person, not necessarily uh, the, the, the plan on paper. And all of a sudden I'm going, okay, this makes sense. In the first two stories, John chapter 11, where he says, what are, what are we going to do? He chose the person over the place. He'd rather be with Jesus in danger than be without him in safety. In the second story, doesn't know where he's going. He chose the person over the place. And and I'm picking up a theme, and I'm going, how cool is that? Third story, John chapter 20. Just to catch you up, John chapter 20 is after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 20, it's the, the day that Easter happened. It's the, the night of Resurrection Sunday. And the Scripture tells us in John 20 and verse 19, they're all gathered in the same place. 
Now, spoiler alert, this is the, the passage where Thomas got famous. We don't remember him much for the Lazarus incident, and we kind of aren't sure that he's the one that, that prompted Jesus to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but we're really sure that in this story he doubted. On the evening of that day, verse 19, the doors were locked where the disciples were because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. Jesus came and stood with him, walked through the wall, I don't know, beamed in from the enterprise. He, he was just there. And he's in the middle of their, their, their group, and he says, peace be with you. Again, don't let your hearts be troubled. The person is more important than the, the, the place. The person is more important than the plan. He, he's there with them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. A lot going on. Now, verse 24 says, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him. Now, let's not jump to any conclusions. We don't know why he wasn't with him. We, we don't know if he had family business to take care of. We don't know if he was extra afraid, so he was in another locked room. We don't know any of that. All we know is that he wasn't there, and now he's got to hear the story. There's been several times where I've tried to watch a ball game or something on Saturday night, and I'm sorry, but I get sleepy, I'm old, I go to bed early. And, and the next morning, somebody says, did you see that play? And I go, nope, <laughs> wasn't there. And all I can imagine is these 10 disciples saying to Thomas, you wouldn't believe what happened. Jesus kind of vaporized into our midst, and he's there in peace and touched stuff, and, and he's breathing the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. And Thomas, gaining the reputation that you all give him, he said, I won't believe it until it happens to me. Now, if you think about it under the surface, he's being consistent. I, I need the person. I don't need your stories. I need the person. I don't need the promises. I need the person. I don't, I don't need the, the, the awesome descriptions. I, I, I don't need your breath, Holy Spirit. I need mine. I need this for me. And the amazing thing about this whole thing Please camp on this. Jesus is patient with those of us who are a little skeptical. And so the story goes on. See if this has a deja vu moment for you. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Thinking about all the other people in our series, right? Lazarus, he's sick. Why isn't Jesus coming? I'm getting sicker. 
Malchus, he comes looking for a fight. He's hurt. He's attacked by, by Peter, somebody who's traveling with Jesus. He's attacked by someone in the church. Now all of a sudden we've got Thomas, and there's this, there's this consistent, I need this personally. And the patience that Jesus has to allow us to let him do the transforming and nobody's trying to force it, all of a sudden Jesus is there again. This is exactly like the other experience. He comes through the wall, the doors are locked again. Thomas is with him this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in, don't know how. Beam us up, Scotty. Among them, he said, peace be with you. Same exact thing as before. Then he said to Thomas, you, you, Put your finger here. This is what you asked for. I was outside listening the first time you said it. Put your finger here. Touch my side. Don't disbelieve anymore, but believe. Now, we don't know if Thomas ever did that. We don't, we, it doesn't tell us whether Thomas touched him in any way. And that's oddly enough, you, you do your homework, that's sort of a dust-up between Catholics and Protestants about, about if it matters if he actually had to do something to understand that Jesus is God or if he just received it by faith. But, but all we know is that Thomas responded in worship and belief. Now, i got another question for you. We've got a few minutes. Does the resurrection really matter? Where we spend a lot of time getting ready for Easter. Does the resurrection really matter? Does it matter that Jesus defeated death? And I would tell you yes. And I think we see it here, and I think we see it in Paul's writings, that it was the resurrected Christ that made all the difference with Thomas. He knew the historical Jesus. He read all the stories that we can read in the New Testament. Yeah, he walked on water. Yeah, he healed people. Yeah, he multiplied bread. Yeah, he loved children. Yeah, he ticked off the religious leaders a lot. That, that's the, what he did. That's the historical Jesus. But is he the one that defeats death? Is he the one that crushes our anxiety? Is he one that makes sense of the, the, the stuff where the church hurts people or, or relationships are going south or the marriage isn't working anymore or my kid's off the rails? Is he the one that can crash through all that? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? And when Jesus showed up in person, he said, yeah, the resurrection matters. Paul said it matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, if the resurrection isn't true, then all of this stuff is a waste of time. If the resurrection isn't true, we believe in vain. Nobody has ever risen from the dead. If the resurrection isn't true, if God doesn't do this, he doesn't do it for anybody. If he didn't do it for Jesus, he doesn't do it for us. If he didn't do it for us, he doesn't do it for Jesus. If the resurrection's not a thing, then all of our faith is just a sham. The resurrection matters. Because it is that thing that crushes the anxieties, that crushes the cynicism, that does away. We would rather be with him in person than be in safety without him. We would rather be with him in person than anything else. And Thomas finally figured it out. And he responded in worship. My Lord 
and my God. He combined the historical Jesus with Christ the Messiah. Let me challenge you a couple of ways. One, if when you meet Jesus in prayer, it doesn't inspire that kind of emotion, maybe examine the prayer. Are you meeting with him in person? Are you just going through your list? Are you meeting with this risen Christ who, who, who crushed death, who, who, who left it behind, who, who, who defeated the, the worst thing that any of us could fear? I, I can only tell you, we did another uh, memorial service funeral here at the church yesterday, and if I can't say to these families, there is hope beyond this life, I've got nothing to say. Because the resurrection matters. It matters that he is a person. It matters that Thomas was more in uh, trying to get a hold of the destination, but Christ gave him the destiny. It's important that, that Thomas finally realized that he would rather be with Jesus in danger than without him in safety. It matters that here at the end of this story that, that all of a sudden all his cynicism, all his doubts, they just fade away because Jesus shows up in person. And I will submit to you that if you ask him, he will do that with you. If you're a cynic, if you've been hurt, if you're going through a time where you're just not sure anymore, if you never ask him to be your Lord and Savior, you bow your head, you close your eyes, you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to remind me that you are a person that I'm following and not just an idea, not just a political belief, not just a, 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 a fable, not just a, a thing, not just church, not just Bible studies, but you are a person. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And I understand that I can't be close to God any other way. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a second? On your seat or near you, there's a little slip of paper. Each week at the end of our services, we've been asking you to let us pray for you by writing down the name of a person or an initial or a code or a nickname or a symbol, whatever it is that that you know that you have asked for prayer for that person. Maybe that person is you. Maybe you're the, the doubter who needs to become an honest cynic and have your cynicism crushed by the reality of the resurrection. Maybe you're watching online and you can respond to the digital pastor that Diary is watching right now, maybe you can say to him, I need to become a follower of Christ. I need to let him take care of my doubts and my sin and my anxiety and my shortcomings. I need him to do all that, to show up and say, I am a person, a person worth following. If you're in the room and that's you, either come see one of us afterwards, go to the visitor place outside, let us have enough contact information where we can follow this conversation up and we can keep talking about what it would mean to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for putting in our minds a person that's maybe a little cynical and we, 
We want them to have prayer. Thank you for putting it on the minds and hearts of some people in this room that they're the ones that have been hurt. They're the ones that have doubts. They're the ones that have fears. And that they need to place their trust in you as their Lord and Savior. That this would be the day that they said, my Lord and my God. If you'd like, as we sing this last song, you can put your slips of paper in the basket that's at the foot of the cross. There are baskets out in the lobby if you'd rather do that on your way out. But this is our time of response where if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, I'll be standing right down here. But if you want to put your prayer requests for somebody else, I can only promise you that our staff and our prayer teams will be praying for everything. Everything that's on the cross already, we've prayed for by name and person. That's an opportunity for you just to, to know that you have put a friend or, or yourself and that that prayer is going to be lifted up on an ongoing basis over the next few days. Father, thanks for the day. Guide us as we leave in Jesus' name.